Every single one of us have probably asked this question, and so I want to ask it to you because maybe you've never articulated it in this way. So if you have a pen, a pencil, if you have your uh, iPad, iPhone, I want you to write this, this question down. Can I really be fulfilled in this life? Can I really be fulfilled? This question honestly haunts every single human being because I think that we're all looking for purpose. We're all looking to find our place and really we're all looking to feel complete. And so this question of can I really be fulfilled, I want you to write down maybe that one thing that you're being, tr trying to be fulfilled by or that one person you're trying to be fulfilled by. So I want to give you a moment just to write down to think who or what am I trying to be fulfilled by? I know your neighbor might be peeking, but I still want you to write it down or type it out. This question is really important for us because maybe this is you, maybe this is not you. Maybe this is your answer to the question, hey, this is what I'm being fulfilled by. Maybe it's not. Let me know. So have any of you maybe tried to be fulfilled by putting a mask on? Maybe it's blue and red and maybe you put on stretchy pants that are blue and red, and maybe you put on a cape that might be red. You see, one of my friends, and maybe you might know my friend, his name is Ignacio, and this is exactly what he tried to do. Some of you actually might know him by Nacho Libre. His picture is up there. This is exactly what Nacho tried to do. He tried to find his fulfillment in just trying to be the best. He wanted to be the best in Lucha Libre, which is really this wrestling. And so if you've seen the movie, he's like, man, I just, I just want to be the best. I just want to be a pro wrestler. And you see that as he's going in his life, he's like, well, now, like, I want to win. Like, I want to taste the glory. I want to taste what it, what it feels like to win. And if you see the movie, it progresses. He's trying to find his fulfillment in wrestling. But maybe you find this experience, too. He came to the conclusion of, like, you know what? That's actually not going to be the thing that fulfills me in my life. And at the end, it's really cool. He's in the scene with all the kids, and you see that he just finds so much enjoyment in seeing the kids have so much fun. And so maybe you're not the person that's like try to put on a mask or try to put on stretchy pants or try to put a cape on, but maybe you came to the same conclusion as Nacho Libre did, the same conclusion that earth, this, this earthly fulfillment is just not enough. This earthly fulfillment in a person or this earthly fulfillment that I'm seeking is just not enough, and, and truly, it doesn't fulfill the eternal fulfillment I'm trying to find. And that eternal fulfillment that we can find is truly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ alone can we find that, and that's really what we're going to look at in this passage. And so if there's one of you out there that just doesn't know my name or doesn't know how to pronounce my name yet, even though I say it almost every Sunday, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm one of the pastors here. And honestly, it's always such a pleasure to be able to open up the word with you. And so we're going to continue in our series called Greater Than. In the series, we're walking through Colossians, which is the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, Colossians chapter 2. So as you get there, I just want to remind us that there's a couple phrases that we're saying throughout this whole series. One of those phrases, phrases is that when life doesn't add up or when life doesn't make sense, Jesus is greater than. Another statement that we love to make throughout this entire series is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's just so true. 
And so a little context before I begin reading in chapter 2 is, is something that we've already talked about, but I just want to remind us that Paul, as he continues to write to the church of Colossae, he has in mind these heresies. He has this in mind this particular heresy, and that is Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is this belief, really this false teaching that all matter, like anything physical, is evil. And so as we begin to read and as we begin to study this, I want you to keep that in mind because that's really important for us as we look at it. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all all things hidden are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So now we're in verse 6. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That was a really long sentence. That was crazy. Verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and over every authority. As we look at these 10 verses, the textual idea I want us to get, uh, just to kind of read over you, is that knowing the truth that fullness, forgiveness, and freedom are found in Christ strengthens us against attacks that come from empty deception. And if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. Christ is our fulfillment. Or more personally, Christ is my fulfillment. Christ is my fulfillment. And my prayer is that this statement, that Christ is my fulfillment, would not only ring true today, but it would continue to ring true throughout our lives and throughout the rest of our life. And so we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. And to, to explain this whole thing, I've kind of put it in a point for us. To explain 1 through 5, I put it this way. God's mystery is greater than man's clarity. God's mystery is greater than man's clarity. And we're going to look at that. But starting in verse 1, we see that Paul is really not shy at all, saying, I am contending for you, as in I'm exerting myself for you. And he's, he's exerting himself and contending and, and struggling emotionally for people he hasn't met. He's contending for people in Colossae, Laodicea, and it says, for all of you who have not met me personally. And honestly, because of God's divine design and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think that we can actually look at this passage and say, man, Paul, what do you have to say? Because I never met you personally. 
So, so Paul, what do you have to say to me today? What do you have to say? And he's like, look, I'm going to give you these three things that are really my goal and my purpose for why I'm struggling for you. Now, we're going to go ahead and just say that his struggle and his ultimate goal for that is for Christ. But there's these three other things, and he goes on. So the first thing that we see that's one of his purposes for his struggle, we see in the beginning of verse 2. It says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, that you may be encouraged in love and the love of Christ. The second is that you may be united in love. Now, this is fascinating because as we look at the third thing, we see that when we are encouraged in love and united in love, that means that we are together. So he's like, man, I want you to be encouraged and united together, working together, understanding that when we do this together, we grow together. And when we are encouraged in love and we are united in love, that is when we have and we see and we get to understand the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul's ultimate goal for this struggle and this contending emotionally and spiritually is so that people would know the mystery of Christ, the mystery of who God is, the mystery that God has revealed himself completely in Jesus Christ, and that any treasure and any wisdom and any knowledge that we may need that we seek is in Christ himself. And that's why we can say that God's mystery, which is Christ himself, is greater than any of man's clear articulation of something better than God. Because that's not true. Because in Christ Jesus, we find all these things that in unlock the Old Testament, the New Testament, our lives right now, our lives to come. He is like the key that unlocks everything and makes everything make sense. Like, it's crazy to think how many times the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament, and you just see that they directly point to Jesus, directly point that he is the great shepherd, that he is the great prophet, that he is the great savior, that he is the great Messiah. That is exactly what it's saying. And, and look, Google has a lot of great wisdom. It really, it really does. It's like, man, I can look up anything. But the thing is, is that God's wisdom is so much greater than man's wisdom. It really is. And as Paul continues in verse 3, it's really a whole summary of what he just said in, in verse 2. It says that in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. And he's like, man, you have to know these treasures because these treasures point us to a transformation. These treasures point us to the hope, to the peace that we can have in Jesus. And then verse 4 is, is Paul's great warning. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. This is really important for us to understand because Paul is really speaking towards these people, these philosophers, you could say, because it's in this philosophical realm in which people try to articulate some really pretty things. 
And these really pretty things they try to articulate actually try to veer us away from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying every time because philosophy is really good to help us logically think through some things. But Paul is directly speaking to these false teachers of saying, man, these false teachers are really focused on wisdom. And I, Paul, and we should be focused on Christ. That's exactly what's happening here. He's like, look, even Paul himself is like, look, I don't come with all these fancy words like they do, but I come with the truth. I come with this treasure. We need to understand that Christ is our treasure and that Jesus Christ himself is preeminent over all wisdom and over all knowledge, as in he is above all wisdom in all knowledge. When I read these last couple of verses, it reminds me of my philosophy teacher in college. So I need you to like, think of little freshman me side. He was like this short, walking into college. And he walks into his first philosophy class ever, and he walks in, he's like ready to learn. And his philosophy professor at Oklahoma Baptist University walks in, and he says, well, guys, we're going to spend the next three weeks telling you why God doesn't exist. And I was like, uh, am I in the right university or class right now? <laughs> like, this is crazy. And he goes, we're going to spend the next three weeks, and I'm going to show you all of these arguments that point to God doesn't exist. And then I'm going to see how you guys handle it. I'm telling you, my little freshman brain was blown away. Like, this guy almost made me believe that colors didn't exist. I was like, what is going on? Like, you're telling me, like, colors don't exist because it's all my brain and all this kind of stuff. And It was just fascinating because he took those three weeks to try to destroy my faith. Now, I'm grateful for my professor because he said, guys, all these arguments I gave you, which are like five, have, are, are, do not contend with the other hundreds of arguments for God. And I was so grateful for him because I was like, man, I heard all these fine-sounding arguments that you gave me. And I almost believed them. But I was like, there's got to be more. And he goes, yeah, there's more. And I just remember how frustrated people were because he did this every single semester with people. But I think it was such a great exercise. It was a great exercise because he taught us how to defend our faith. He taught us what other people believe in order for us to be able to say, okay, I've heard that before. Here's how we articulate it. And so as we look at an application of verses 1 to 5, we see that we must rely on Christ. We must rely on Christ because he has all the answers. And so really in Colossians 1, we saw that we, we have a reason to rely on Christ because he is the one in which all things continue to exist by. We see that we can rely on him on that. And really in chapter 2, in this first little part, we see that we have a reason to rely on Christ because it is through him that we have all these treasures of wisdom and treasures of knowledge. And look, all of us are going to, at one point in time in our life, come across these fine-sounding arguments. And if you haven't yet, I'm pretty sure you will at some point, whether it's at your job, whether it's with friends, whether it's at school, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's on YouTube. You're going to find find these people that are trying to persuade you and using fine articulations of saying, yeah, God doesn't exist. And the thing is, is that I'm a little worried that we buy into them. And I'm a little worried because if you look at the statistics of high school students who leave the church, high school students who leave the youth group that have been there for a long time, the statistics say that 70% 
of our high school students that leave the home, leave the faith. And it makes me think, like, Lord, like, are, are we not teaching them to rely on Christ? Are we not teaching them to defend their, t- their faith? Are we not teaching them to be able to stand firm, to stand mature in their faith? And my hope is that that wouldn't be us. My hope is that the lack of teaching is not really part of the equation of why our students are going out to the world, this world that hates Jesus Christ and they're falling. I hope that's not us. I hope that we're able to teach not just our students, but all of us of saying, man, we have to be able to, yes, own our faith, but be able to articulate why that's the case. Of saying we must rely on Christ. Because we live in a world that really says you can rely on yourself. You can be your own God. You can be the person that decides what's right and what's wrong. If you think about that for like two seconds, it doesn't make any sense. If you think about that for two seconds, it really doesn't make any logical sense because imagine your professor, imagine your boss or something doesn't like your work just because they don't like it because you turned something in with a blue folder. And it's like, but boss, I did everything you just said. But professor, I did everything you just said. Yeah, but I don't like the blue folder, so, you know, I'm going to give you an F or I'm going to fire you. In a world that says everyone can be their own God and everyone can decide what's right and wrong, I guess you could say that makes sense. But that's not the case at all. You see, there's this thing called objective truth, which is truth that is, that is beyond who we are, truth that is true for all people at all times and all places. And Jesus Christ is true. He's objectively true. And the thing is, is that when we rely on Jesus Christ, man, we're relying on his grace because we cannot save ourselves. As much as we work, as much as we try, as much as we pray, we cannot save ourselves at all. And, and maybe today some of us need to be reminded of the grace of God. And maybe some of us don't know the grace of God. It's like, Misal, what do you mean? You know, I love Ephesians 2.8, and, and maybe some of you already know Ephesians 2.8, but I love how it says it's not by works that we're saved, but by grace that we're saved. And it's like, okay, what kind of grace? Well, it's the grace that God gave to us through Jesus Christ. He gave it to us freely as a gift and saying, man, I love you so much that I'm going to make a way for you, and I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to live a life that you never could. And the thing is, I'm, just, I'm not going to stay dead I'm going to rise from the grave, saying that I defeat death, saying that I am over and preeminent over death, over sin. And the thing is, you can't save yourself, as, even as hard as you try. So we have to rely on Christ every time. We really do. And so the first thing that we saw is that God's mystery is greater than man's clarity. The second thing that we're going to use to explain verses 6 to 10 is that God's fullness is greater than man's fabrication. God's fullness is greater than man's fabrication. You see, man has always tried to fabricate things, and we're going to see one of those things in which man is fabricated later on in verse 8. But as we look at verse 6, I find it so interesting that Paul says, so then just you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live lives in him. 
So what Paul is saying is that this, this grace that God has given us, it's not just a one-time deal. This, this thing that we've received from Jesus Christ is not a one-time deal, but we are to continue to walk with him. That we are given grace, that we have received grace, but we have to walk in that grace with him. He's saying continue to live your lives in him. And check out this beautiful metaphor. Beautiful, it says, in him rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Man, there's so much in here that we could talk about. But a couple highlights I want us to get is think of a plant. Think of a plant that's like deeply rooted in this really rich soil. And this plant, when it's deeply rooted in this soil, it has the ability to grow. So again, Paul is restating, hey, this grace that you've received has planted you. Now it's time to continue to grow in him and to live in him. Because the nourishment that you're getting from this soil that allows you to grow. What's so fascinating is that if we put ourselves in the place of a plant, we understand that grace is not just this one-time occasion, but it's this continuous thing. And just as the plants need nourishment from the soil, like this rich soil for stability and for nourishment, that's the same thing with us. As we think of Jesus Christ is, what does Paul say? He says, the richness. Let me find it here for you. Well, I lost my place. Where did he go? It's at the beginning. Didn't you find it yet? The richness. Oh, there it is. Verse 2. So that you may have the full richness of complete understanding. The full richness of complete understanding is a soil in which we're rooted in. And it's in that when we are rooted in the richness of the soil of Christ, we find our stability and our nourishment. And I love what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 4, verse 34. It says this, My food, my nourishment, is to do the will of the Father who sent me. My nourishment, my food, is to obey the Lord and to do what he has done to do what he has told me to do. And so as we think of this beautiful metaphor, it's like, Lord, I want to be rooted in you. I want to be built up in you. I want to be strengthened in the face as I was taught. And, and that last part right there in verse 7 where it says, overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. I think at this, at this point, Paul is actually saying, you know what? One of the characteristics of a believer is one who's overflowing with thankfulness. Because thanksgiving, you could say, is a, is a visible response to God's grace in our life. To where I, we come up and we say, man, I'm so thankful for all these things that God has done. Man, I'm, I'm, I need to tell you just how thankful I am. Like, my, my, my life's not perfect. I'm, I'm not going through the most amazing situation, but I'm thankful and I'm blessed today. And that will be the mark of me. That will be my mark of saying, man, I'll be known by love. I'll be known by thankfulness. So now we're going to see in verse 8 what Paul is talking about when it comes to man's fabrications. In verse 8 it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends, hear this, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You see, that's a problem. 
When we as humans depend on ourselves rather than the Lord, that's a problem. When we are fabricating something else that we are taking the place of from God, that's a problem. That's called sin. When we are relying on anything else other than Christ himself, that is sin. And so if you look at these deceptive philosophies, these human traditions, there's this, there's this word called pre-Socratics. And the pre-Socratics are really these people that came before Socrates, who was this man, philosopher, created by Aristotle. And <clears throat> the pre-Socratics, what they believed is that wind, water, fire, and earth were the things that made up everybody and everyone and everything. And they kind of worshipped them. They were like, man, every, everything and everybody's made out of these four elemental things. And it's those things that are above all else. Those things are eternal. And Paul's like, do not listen to those guys. That is so empty. There's no purpose in that. How can you find fulfillment in that? How can you find purpose in that? It's empty philosophies. That's what Paul is saying here. It's like, man, why would you believe in this when there is a God who loves you so much? who is a God in which you can find fulfillment, a God in which you can find purpose. Because if you remember Colossians 1, 15, 16, and 17, it's just incredible to think that all of creation was made by Jesus, in Jesus, and for Jesus. We are made for his purpose. We have a purpose, and our identity is him, and, and we are his children. We have that purpose and fulfillment in him. As we look at, at verse 9, this is so incredible and almost, almost self-explanatory. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Man, for in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Remember what we said about the agnostics, how they thought that, that matter was evil? Well, this is Paul right now pointing out, hey, God came in bodily form. Agnostics, matters is not evil. And so as we think about that and as we look at that, it's just incredible to think about this hypostatic nature of Jesus and this word hypostatic is like this really theological word to say that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Again, this whole mystery of God. But it's like, Lord, that's exactly how you revealed yourself. And you had to be fully man and you had to be fully God in order to pay this eternal price for my eternal debt. Like that had to be the case. And if you see, it says that he is the head over every power and authority. Look, one day, every leader, every ruler, every president, every person in power will have to answer to Jesus. Every single one will have to give an account. Every single one of us will have to give an account. But I don't care how powerful you think you are. I don't care how powerful you think somebody is. But every single knee will bow at the name of Jesus. That is a reality of what is to come. And let me tell you, I much rather bow to Jesus right now than be forced to bow later. 
Like, I'd much rather freely bow down and say, Lord, I do rely on you. Lord, I do place my faith in you. Lord, you are the one in which has changed my life. You are the one I need right now. Because at the end, it'll be a little too late. And so, man, if today you're like me, I don't know. I don't know if I'd bow down to Jesus right now. Well, man, can I, can I encourage you to think, of what, think about that? Can I encourage you to think about what that means to bow down on your knees right now before Jesus? Because he is the name above every other name. He's not just some God out there, but he's a God right here. And he walks with us. He brings us peace. He brings us hope. And man, I need that in my life. I need to be transformed because, look, I'm not going to buy into the lies of the world that I can be my own God because I didn't create myself. I didn't. I didn't say, okay, Misael, you're going to be five foot six, five foot seven with the particular shoe. You're going to have dark hair. You're going to have dark black hole eyes. I, I didn't create myself. But God did. And he knows me by name and he knows you by name. And so as we looked at the first verses, we saw that we must rely on Christ. The thing I want us to see as an application from verses 6 to 10 is that we must be rooted in Christ. We must be those plants that are in this rich soil of Jesus. Because it's in that rich soil of Jesus in which we grow. When I think about being rooted in Christ, I cannot help but think of this man named Jose Luis. Jose Luis is this missionary that we actually support as a church. And Jose Luis right now is in Mexico. And he's a missionary there. And, and man, I've talked to him several times. And there is some incredible things happening in Mexico right now as we speak. And he, this guy is so sharp. Like, he goes to, to conferences. He goes to gymnasiums. He goes to literally the, the house across the, uh, the store from him. And all he does is just share the gospel with people and make disciples who make disciples. And Jose Luis, about a couple months ago, he said, Misael, will you pray for me? Because I'm, I'm speaking at this conference, and if the government finds out about it, I'm going to go to jail because I'm telling everyone about the reality that there's man and that there's woman, and that's how God created it to be. And he's like, Misael, will you pray for me because I might go to jail? Well, a couple, like, couple weeks go by, he texts me, he goes, hey, I'm not in jail. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. You're not in jail. I actually was able to talk to Jose Luis this past week. And he calls, he calls Keith Davis, and I'm in the room, and, and Jonathan Watts is in the room. And, and we're talking to Jose Luis, and I saw Jose Luis's face for the first time in a different light. He was scared. Jose Luis's face told me he was scared. And, he, and you know what he said? He goes, Misael, I'm, I'm a little scared because the government's finding out what I'm doing. The government's finding out what we're doing. And this church member over here, they just took away his land. They just took away his house. They just took away his car. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took everything else from him and his family. He goes, Misael, I love what I do. And I love the Lord. And we're not going to stop. And Keith Davis asked him, he goes, Jose Luis, 
why do you think this is happening? Why do you think this persecution is happening? You know what he says? <laughs> I don't know if you're ready for this. You know what he said? He goes, this is happening because God loves me. He goes, I'm being persecuted because God loves me. And he goes, you know what? They're not letting us meet in our building, but you know who they are letting in their building? He goes, the Catholics. He goes, they're letting the Catholics in their building, but not us. He goes, you know why? Because we have the truth. We have the truth. And we're gonna continue to proclaim it because we're seeing lives changed. We're seeing people be healed physically and spiritually because God is real. And we're not gonna be shaken, he says. We're not gonna be shaken because we are rooted in this deep soil and we find our fulfillment in him. We find our identity in him is nothing is going to shake us, he said. And I said, Jose Luis, that is incredible. I said, if anything, I, I feel inadequate to pray for you. But can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah. And as I think of Jose Luis, I think that is a great example of what it looks like to be rooted in Christ, unshaken in him, understanding the truth and the reality. And so I wanna ask you the question again, where or in who are you finding your fulfillment in? Finding fulfillment in someone else leaves you empty. Finding fulfillment in yourself leaves you insecure. And finding fulfillment in something else leaves you absolutely disappointed. But finding fulfillment in Christ, that leaves you full leaves you full and satisfied. Why? Because Christ is the fullness of God. That is who he is. And so this morning I ask you, does God complete you? Is God your purpose? And in God do you find your place?